Well, we're continuing our series in uh, the land between. And so there's this idea of then. I, I make this decision, right? I make this decision that life has got to change. Or God gives me a promise or a vision or an idea. And I believe that I'm supposed to step forward into this reality. And so I want to be here, right? This is where I want to be, right? The full promise, the full unveiling, the new job, the new marriage, the new situation. This is where I want to be. This is where I am. This is where I am. And this is much of the Christian life. This is much of life. And so we can often find ourselves missing so much of what God wants to teach us because we miss the important lessons and we find ourselves circling back again and again and again in this space as we see in the scriptures, right? The Israelites wandered for 40 years. Why? Because they missed the lessons here, here. What God was trying to teach them about what they were to, to be, where they were to go, what they were to inherit, they missed the promises of the here and now, and it took a lot longer. I forget, the, I forget if you have a Bible, but if you have a Bible that gives you, that route is like a few miles, like it's not far, right? But it took them 40 years, okay? Now, some of us are going to be in that space for a while, right? Either because of things that have happened to us or because of things that we do to ourselves, and the important thing about this series is how do we learn the lessons? What do we learn? And so go back and review because there's key instructions in each of the weeks. One word that really helps us to really take home some purposeful instructions. And so the, the, the text for this week again is Numbers 11. And, but just to give us some context of what we're going to be talking about today. And the title for today's sermon is There's No I in Team. There's No I in Team. But I remember when I first started in ministry, uh, there was people that had trust in me that, I mean, maybe honestly they shouldn't have had yet. Like I was just fresh in ministry, had ideas about what I thought should happen, how it should go. And so like, oh great, you should work with young people, right? So I worked with junior high and high school kids for a lot of years and I worked with college age students. But my first assignment, I went to a youth camp and it was like hundreds and hundreds uh, like th I think it was like 300 junior and high and high school students. And I was responsible for doing a morning and evening teaching for these kids. It was the first time I've ever done something like this. And so it wasn't like being thrown in the shallow end, right? It's like two, 300 kids like leaning in. And I'm like, I got to teach these kids, right? But the beautiful thing was that we got some time with them to play some great games. And so it was often the junior high kids versus the, the high school kids. And you know how this works, right? The junior high kids are all like very tentative, like a little concerned that they're going to get beat up or, or taken down by the high schoolers. And one of those games was we were going to do capture the flag with paintball guns, okay? And so there was this island in the middle of this retreat center where there was one path through the middle of the island, okay? And so the high schoolers had to go and they had to go and hide the flag and then we had to come and find it, okay? And so the, the, the middle school kids were scared witless. They were like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And so I said, okay, me and the other leaders said, here's what we're going to do, right? We're going to be the, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to run down the middle of the, the path, okay? You're going to follow after me. I'm going to take fire, right? I'm going to take some fire. And then you're going to see where they're all hanging out and be able to pick them off because they're going to show themselves once, the, once we see where they're all hanging out, right? And so me and the leader are like, this sound like an idea? Yes, because you're going to be able to just shoot them. You're going to know exactly where to shoot when this happens because you're going to know where the balls are coming from. And everyone's like, okay, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. So like, get them all prepped. We know, do the, we do the prep talk and all this stuff. We're all ready. And we're like, okay, one, two, three, go. So I start jogging up the path. I'm, I'm about halfway there. And I turn around and say, are we ready? And I turn around and there's no one there. <laughs> I am by myself. I am by myself. 
And then the bullets start firing. <laughs> and I'm taking bullets left, right, and center in, few, in a few dangerous, in a few sensitive spaces, you know, and I went and I was down. I was down for the count. So needless to say, the game was over by that point because they were all back there laughing at me while I was taking shots. So I had to regroup with them and say, that didn't quite work the way we had hoped, right? But here's the thing. We set out. We set out on a trip, right? We make a decision to make a change in our life and we set out on the journey and then shots fired. Shots fired. And we turn around and say, man, where's everybody? Where's everybody? I thought people said they were praying for me and I thought people said they were going to help me. I thought they were going to be for me and with me and care for me through this and I feel like I'm alone on this, on this path. What God wants us to do is to learn the beauty and the priority of fellowship. The beauty and the priority of fellowship. We are not meant to walk out this Christian life alone. And so why this, this, this text in this section and why this sermon is so important in the midst of this is because the second wave, actually it would be better accurately described as the third wave, the third wave of this pandemic is going to be loneliness and depression and anxiety and fear. We are going to go back to normal at some point, but we've lived so long in social isolation that it's going to be very difficult for some folks to go back into community because they don't know how to interact with others. They felt alone and isolated and worried and afraid and all these things. And many are battling this. I, I watched a video this week. 70% of pastors are thinking of getting other jobs, quitting. 70 percent. Pastors are not immune to this, right? Because our job, our privilege, our joy is to be able to check in on y'all, right? How are you doing? Pray for you, encourage you, email you. And I want to, and I said this last night in the, in, in the, in the sermon on Facebook last night, we are the glorious exception in this. I have so many folks who email me, text me, pull me aside during the service and just say, hey, we're praying for you, we're grateful for you. And I know that our pastors have this, the same situation. So we're a glorious exception to this. But so many pastors are dealing with isolation, fear, worry in this season. And so if pastors are dealing with this, knowing they should have a depth of truth to guide them in this, how much more is everyone else dealing with this? So we need to understand the beauty and the priority of fellowship. So I'm going to invite us to stand as we take our, our God's word to bear in our lives together. This is one of their practices. And again, I say this regularly. If nothing else, God is teaching us, addressing us from his word. If you take nothing else, God is addressing us through the reading of this word because this is his word to us this morning. So this is Numbers 11. Verses 11 to 17, if you'd like to follow along, but the verses will be on the screen for us. Let me read them over us as we remember God's word together. So Numbers 11, verses 11 to 17. It says this, And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore me to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? 
They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit on them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated. And so the lesson for us today, there's no I in team, and the lesson for us is this. We often, the temptation and the worry and the concern is, we'll stay stuck here because we lose sight of community. We'll stay stuck here because we think that it's about us. We think it's just about us. There's no I in team. And the particular trap for us in this here and now of missing the lessons is the I-me trap. The I, me, trap. See, when I get into trouble, I face difficulty, I face trouble. The thing that I will often say is, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix this? Look again at the scriptures. If you have your Bible open, a couple of sections just to give us a sense. In 12 through 14, again, listening to Moses and these words probably sound familiar in terms of the situations that we face. How can I carry them? to the land you swore to give their ancestors. Where am I supposed to get meat for these people? I can't carry these people by myself. I, 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 me, me, me. You see, when we face trouble, we get into these situations of thinking, how am I going to fix this, do this, change this, deal with this, address this? How am I going to do all this? How is this going to happen? Because we're focused so much on what I think I need to do. Moses is seeing the needs of the people, the struggle he and his nation were facing, and he reduced the solution to himself. He reduced the solution to himself. The I-me trap reduces the solution to myself. It reduces my life to myself, my own needs, my own abilities, my own concerns, my own dreams, my own struggles. The I-me trap is to reduce my solutions to my own capacities, and I fall into the trap of saying, it's got to be on me. And as we heard last night in the, in the Bible study on, on Facebook, for some of us, this is deeply rooted because of family of origin, right? We're told it's on us. You've got to watch out for yourself. You've got to be about yourself. No one's going to lack after you. It's every person for themselves. You've got to man up. You've got to look after yourself. No one's going to care for you. No one's going to go to bad for you. You've got to get yours. That's the family of origin many of us come from in thinking that we have to only look out for ourselves. And we miss the lessons of the care that God wants to bring in those moments because we think it all depends on me. It all depends on me. But the second part of this is even Moses, again in verse 11. Moses loses sight of the reality that God was with him. Or that God was good. 
or that God understands. Verse 11, why are you treating me, your servants, so harshly? You see, this idea, again, is not just that I fall into the trap of thinking it's about me, it's only for me, but the only other thing is no one understands. This isolation, right? They don't understand because they don't understand the burden. They don't understand because they don't understand the concern. They don't understand because they don't understand all that's needed. They don't understand. They don't understand. They don't understand. So I pull back and I pull back and I pull back and I pull back. And I find myself alone in my battle because I think no one around me could possibly understand what I'm dealing with. And so I won't share. I won't speak up. I won't tell others. We stumble in the dark. We struggle in silence, thinking no one cares, no one understands. And one of the things, again, being in this church now for a number of years and just hearing from the leaders and so many of you is, and one of the things that Pastor Edwin has said that this just so gripped me as we think about this. He said, when meetings close, addicts die. When meetings close, addicts die. We have seen this. We have seen this during COVID. And so lest we think no one understands, no one can care for me, it's on me to fix this, it's only about what I can do, that's a dangerous place to be. So in this land between and the here and now and the trouble of today, I need to be aware of falling into this I-me trap. This I-me trap, it's on me, it's for me. This is on my shoulders, I have to carry this, Right? So as we think about where we're struggling in this area, this I-me trap is, what's a struggle that I'm carrying right now that other people don't know about? What's a struggle right now that I'm carrying that other people don't know about? If no one knows about that struggle, in, at least so they can pray for you in it, you're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place. In the here and now, God wants us to get to this place of victory and deliverance and growth by bringing others into the struggle. I'm not alone. In fact, again, if you look at the scriptures again and again, Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, says if you want one narrative to describe the scriptures, it's this. God gets his family back. God gets his family back. There is no lone range Christianity. None. Zero. It doesn't exist. It's not me and Jesus, me and the Bible, me and my prayer life. It's me and Jesus and the church with community. Because again, Jesus, God tells us from the beginning, Genesis 2.18, right? It is good. It is good. I created it as good. It is good. I created it as good. It is good. And then right in the midst of this whole refrain about it is good, it is good, Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so the I, me trap is so present. We live in a culture that says, be about you, pursue you, it's on you, it's for you. Be, you know, pursue you, do you, right? And instead, God is saying, no, 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 that's a trap. That's a trap. And the trap is you'll fall into despair, You'll fall deeper into struggle because no one will be able to pull you out. No one will be able to walk with you. It's too big for you to do alone. You see, one of the things that, that again, I think Pastor Gus and Pastor Adam both said in sermons before is the lie of saying God is never going to give us more than we can handle. That's a lie. 
God is sometimes going to give us more than we can handle to be reminded that it's too much for you to handle. The I-me trap is to think that I am the solution to my problems. There lies the problem. If I am the problem, then I can also not be a solution. I need others. I need Jesus. I need truth. And so we commune. We commune. We fellowship. We prioritize. And so we, the first thing is we ask for help. We ask for help. How do we do this? How do we move from this here and now struggling of circling again and again in my own struggle, my own thoughts, and my own, de- my own things? How do I do this? I ask for help. I ask for help. Moses does this in a strange way again in verse 11. Have mercy on me. Again in verse 15. Spare me this misery. He's being honest with God. I need help, God. I need help. I'm admitting this, this burden, this struggle, this need is too big for me. Some of us need to admit that today. This burden, this struggle, this concern, this deal, this issue, it's too big for me. It's too big for me. And we live in a world that tells us that it's weakness to admit that we need help. We live with family of origin that tells us, don't ask for help. Don't live for handouts. We all need handouts. We all need handouts. All of us. And so we live with the lie saying, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. I can do this. I got this. Instead, God tells us, admit we need help. Actually admitting that it's over our head, that's beyond our depth. I live in my own strength, my own abilities, and why I wonder why I keep messing up. And as a pastor, again, I've had to learn this because one of the deep joys that I have in in life is to see other people flourish and grow by by serving them and bringing, you know, just bringing good to them, right? But that can also be exhausting. But here's the other thing. I can find myself, particularly on Saturdays, right? Saturdays where we're serving like 300 plus folks, uh, families with bags, and it's just all the needs, right? All the needs. Someone's asking for a coat or a bag's breaking or not enough sanitizers or not enough masks, and it's like you just feel like you're running around all the time. And I've learned, I've learned that I need to slow down and pull others in. Pull others in. I need help. I need help. I need help. So we need to recognize, again, we fall into this trap. It's like, and we all know these things. These are the stupid things, but it just reveals, right, asking for help. It's like driving somewhere, but we don't ask for directions, or we don't ask for help, and then we get lost, right? And, and it's like, you know, the wife or the friend's like, I, I told you so. Like, if you just made the left turn over there, we wouldn't be here, Right? Right? If you had just, you know, if you just tried to use Waze, or if you just, you know, if you'd gotten off the train here, right, we wouldn't be in this mess. But I, I thought I knew where I was going. Right? You thought you knew where you were going. Right? We don't ask for help, and we end up places we don't want to be. We don't ask for help, and we end up places we don't want to be. It's not going to the doctor. Men. It's not going to the doctor when everyone around you is telling me, like, that thing ain't right. That, that, that's just not good, right? A friend in the church, right? Like I was, he had a terrible, terrible cough. A couple weeks ago, I went to see him. I was like, man, that's not, that doesn't sound good. He's like, no, I'm just going to pray on it. I'm like, 
No, you pray and you go to the doctor. You pray and. He's in the hospital now. I, but like, I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm good. I'm good. Right? It's the I don't have a problem. It's the I'm fine. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. It takes a man, here, to the men, it takes a man to say, I need help. I need help. That's a man. That's a man. That's a man. So, thinking about how this works under the hood in our life, again, what's something I need help with? Where is an issue where I'm continuing to struggle, continue to fall, continue to, to deal with the same thing again and again? And what wise counsel can I go to? Someone who's lived through that and able to tell the story on the other side. Who can then I go to to say, I need your help with this? That's a man. That's a leader. That's a leader. I've had to go to both these men, Pastor Gus, Pastor Edwin, Pastor, Pastor Pedro. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. You got to tell me. You got you to show me. You got to teach me. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I still, still. We need help. It's not good that we're alone. What's something we need insight, wisdom, help with? Admitting that I am the problem is the start of the change. Admitting that I need help is the start of the change. We can circle the wagons again and again, thinking it's somebody else. I don't need help. I'm good. I'm fine. And we'll stay stuck right here. Stuck right here. But not only that, it's not just about addressing our own needs, our own struggles. But look again at verse 17. This is the beauty of it. The fellowship is, I need help and I'm inviting others in. But the second part of this is, I'm looking to help. I'm looking to help. It's not just a matter of recognizing that I need help. I'm also looking to help. Now again, look at verse 17. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I'll put the spirit on them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so you will not carry it alone. God was going to raise up other leaders that were going to support Moses. So there's two things. Again, Moses was going to need to be watching for those folks that were going to come to him, that were going to offer the help that he knew that God was bringing, and those men and women needed to be listening for God for the ways in which they were supposed to step into their calling. Are we listening for the promptings of God to step into what he has for us? Because again, the I-me trap says, my life is about me. It's about my needs, my struggles, my concerns, my worries, my fears, my, my issues, right? And I miss so much of what God wants to do because I'm caught up in me. And God's like, there's stuff going on over here. There's stuff going on over here. And if you just slow down long enough, I can help you deal with your stuff by actually having you go and help others. One of the greatest ways we can attack sin in our life is helping others. Because it takes the focus off ourself. It takes the focus off ourself. And so again, this is why it's so important for us to gather together, living aware of the opportunity to be a blessing. To be a blessing. 
Our growth as Christians is not for ourselves. It's for others. God is moving in our lives to change us so we can be better representations of Jesus in our workplaces, in our families, on our block, everywhere we go. That's, he's not just making us better so I can feel good about myself. He's inviting me to be better for others, to be better for others. It's learning to bear one another's burdens. It's learning that my spiritual life is for the good of others, to listen for the promptings of God. God, who do you want me to bless? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to care for? Who do you want me to check in on? We recognize again, it's beautiful that we're all gathered here, but this is half of the folks that were here normally. So where's the other half of the folks? And if we don't know, who's checking in? Who's watching over? Who's loving them? I, I can share this publicly because she shared it in a public way. Joyce, one of the dear ladies from our, from our church, right? Shut in. And she, she's had a, a life. She's had a life. And she, we, were, we were doing our, 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 our devotional talk last night on Facebook, and she just broke down crying. She says, I feel alone. I feel alone. I got homemaids who come in and care for me, four-hour stretches. I feel alone. She just broke down. It's on, that's on us. That's on us. That's on us. But how do we do this? How do we live in such a way that we're able to live out of this abundance of resting in the love of God so we can extend his love to others? Well, again, think of the 12 spies, right? Why could the 12 spies, 12 spies go out and they search out the land, 10 of them come back and say, nah, man, that's too hard, forget it. Nah. God must have been wrong about that place. It's, no, no, it must have been some other place. Let's, let's try another spot. Why could 10 of them respond that way and two of them respond with, no, no, that's the place. God is going to give us that space. Why could they respond that way? Well, we get a hint in the book of Joshua, right? Because Joshua says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the indicator because as Dr. William Barber, pastor and organizer says, those were the families committed to remembering the stories of deliverance. They were committed to remembering the stories of deliverance. What had God been doing? Let's not forget he parted the Red Sea. Let's not forget he provided man in the desert. Let's not forget he spared our life. Let's not forget what he did. The miracles. Don't forget the miracles. This is why we gather. The blessings. What are we grateful for? The miracles. If we have a paycheck, if we can breathe, if we can gather together the miracles, we've got to celebrate the miracles. What has God been up to? And that's why we're doing the congregational meeting today. The miracles, the numbers that you'll hear if you're a member of this church. The miracles. <laughs> we need to remember those miracles, and we need people to point them out to us. When we lose sight of the miracles, because all we're focusing on is the struggle, we need people to come beside us, filled with the Spirit, and say, remember what God did. Remember what God did. Remember what God did. This is why we have prayer meetings and Bible studies to keep the stories of deliverance alive. This is why, again, when we had clean time celebration, why do we do that? Remember what God did. You might step into this space and you're clean for one week and someone beside you steps up and says, I've been clean for 35 years. We remember the deliverance. 
We remember the deliverance. We need people around us to tell us we can do this. With Jesus' help, we have the power to do what he's calling us to do because I'm living proof. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. And we need those people around us. When I'm tempted to lose sight because I'm in the here and now and all I see is the struggle and I feel alone, I need someone who's going to link arms with me and say, let's do this. Let's do this. When I think I'm alone, God is going to raise up people around me. But when I'm alone and I see, do I see the people that are not in this room? Do, do I feel it? Do I feel that there's people not here? Do I feel that people that aren't in my meetings, right? Some of us are still doing online meetings. Are there people that, we're, that we've seen that just dropped off? Do I feel that burden? That's someone else's issue. That's someone else's problem. That's someone else's concern. We are the body of Jesus. The body. His hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears. But lastly, just to, to remind us of this. This is what God does for us. This is what God does for us. We recognize we need help. We look for help. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. John 1. Jesus tabernacles among us. He comes to step into our mess. He doesn't leave us alone to our own devices and say, to heck with them. They have They've made a mess of their life too many times. I'm done. He says, no, no, I'm going to actually step into their mess. I'm going to breathe the same air. I'm going to walk among them and see the struggle. I'm going to know how intimately they experience life. I'm going to step into their mess. Step into their mess. We have fellowship with a God who steps into our mess. But it's not even just that. Christianity teaches that God not only just steps into our mess through Jesus, but he steps into our life. The Holy Spirit actually dwells. God dwells in us. We are the tabernacle. Where does God dwell now? In his people. We are never alone. When we think no one understands, no one sees, no one cares, this, the Holy Spirit, God's very presence is living inside of us. And the gospel is a reminder of this. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced a moment of loneliness on the cross that we would never have to experience because of his death and resurrection. Just think about that for a moment. I will never experience the forsakenness of God being alone, utterly alone, because Jesus cried out forsaken on the cross. That is the gospel hope. I am never alone because Jesus was alone on the cross for me. For me. He stepped into his, my mess. He steps into my life. We have fellowship with God he invites us not only to see our need for him, but to see the needs of others and to step in for caring for others. And I close with this. These verses, again, and so important in view of what we're dealing with now. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 
And it says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Who can I encourage today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I check in on today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I email today? Call, text. Who do I need to check in on to make sure that they're doing all right today? Because that's what God did for me. He didn't leave me on my own. He said, I'm going to check in on them, and then I'm going to die for them, and then I'm going to dwell in them. That's my commitment to you. This is what God does for us. He invites us to do it for one another. There's no I in team. He invites us to commune together, admitting we need help, and then looking to help. The last thing I'll share before I pray, and then we receive our communion for today, which is a beautiful opportunity that we have today to do so, is this, this wonderful proverb, and, and it's, it's one that I just constantly remember in this idea. This idea of community is so important to me. And it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. <laughs> do we want to stay stuck here? Or do we want to go far? Far. I don't want us to burn out here. Our past, your pastors and your friends and your leaders don't want you to burn out here. They want you to go far. But to go far, we need help. We need God and we need each other. So let's go far together. Let's go far together. Right? If you're here, let's go far together. By recognizing we need help and we can be a help to one another. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you, you care for us. We don't have to be afraid of admitting our need because, Jesus, that's why you came. We don't have to be afraid of admitting our limitations, our struggles, our sin, because that's why you came. So when we admit our need, you step in to care for us, and then you care for us by helping us to be a blessing to others. You equip us mysteriously. You use broken vessels to be a blessing for others. Help us to see our need for help today. And help us to see the opportunities to be a help for others. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you care for us like this. We are blessed because you are good. Thank you. Yeah. We love you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Yeah. Amen. Yeah.